Actually, it just, I, uh, I had a knee, uh, scheduled knee surgery from, and uh, decided to go take care of that. I was supposed to be able to walk out without crutches, which was a great deal. It was going to be a quick little, some of you have had meniscus tears, nothing to them. And so uh, when they got in there, they found more damage than they thought. And so they, you guys have already eaten, so you're good. Uh, they, drilled, they drilled holes into my bone and made me bleed inside there so that in hopes it will form, form a scar tissue, which acts as a God-made cartilage that uh, I don't have. But I can't walk on anything other than crutches for uh, six weeks. So... I, I, don't, I don't feel sorry for me. It's not a bad deal. I, my, my knees have, I've played a lot of basketball, and they've taken me to Australia and to New Zealand and to Mexico and to France. I played professionally over there for a while. I've played all over the United States. If they want to go on strike for six weeks, I'm good. I have no issues at all. It's really fun for me to be here tonight. I have to tell you, um, uh, I've looked forward to this. I really have. Uh, some of you may be wondering why I am here, um, and you know that Pastor Ross and the leadership team, pastors, uh, went away for a weekend, and he needed somebody to, to speak, and so uh, he thought that he would get uh, the smartest speaker he could find. <laughs> and he asked him, and he wasn't available, and so he, he thought, well, I'll get the funniest guy. And he was busy. <laughs> and so he thought, okay, I'll get the guy who's the best Bible teacher. And um, he had an appointment, and he couldn't make it either. And so he came to me, and he says, hey, Rich, uh, you know, can you do me a favor? And, you know, of course, it's building me up a little bit after all this. But I said, yeah, what do you want? And he said, will you, will you teach and preach for me on, you know, on the Wednesday night? So I said, let me pray about it. I'll get back in touch with you. So about a week later, he called and said, hey, well, how about it? And I said, you know, Ross, I just can't turn you down four times in a row. <laughs> and that's not true, but I just had to throw that out there. I have the most extreme respect for your pastor, and I count it a privilege to be here. Uh, you guys are a part of something really spectacular. And I want to talk about what God is doing here at The Rock. Uh, we are not your uh, competitors. We're your teammates. And we need you in this county desperately. Uh, you have accomplished so much as a church since your beginning in 2003. Um, a lot of hard work, a lot of prayer. Uh, a lot of growth. People continue to grow and come to this place. Um, several moves. Five, I've just been told. A lot of prayer and sweat and tears. And tonight I want us to, to talk about the future as a church. And I know the leadership team is away. But I want to encourage us to look into the future of the rock and what it could be. So will you pray with me right now? Father God, we just want to commit this time to you, and we ask that you be lifted up and glorified. Uh, Lord, we pray that through our time together, you would increase, we would decrease. And uh, people would only recognize us because of our relationship with you. And so tonight, Lord, we give you this time and our our study, 
and uh, our, our time in the Word. May you bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to work on a PowerPoint a little bit tonight. What's your name back there? Joe, you weren't here when I got here. You were late. Um, <laughs> you never rip on the guy who's got the control of the PowerPoint. That was a big mistake. Um, so let's go ahead and fire that thing off, and we'll get into the, um, the, the couple of next slide after that. And um, I, I want us to talk about, it's a little different uh, title than it is on your outline. If you want to follow along, I encourage you to do so on your outline. You can jot something notes down as we do this thing. I want to talk about sailing the seven seas into uh, effective ministry, into your future as a church and as a spiritual follower of Jesus Christ this evening. About 360 years ago, there was a shipload of travelers who uh, landed on the northeast corner of America. And in their very first town, uh, year that they were there, they established a, a town site. In the second year they were there, they established a town government. In the third year they were there, the town government planned a road that would move five miles to the west. In the fourth year of this township, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. What amazes me about that true story is this. These people had the vision to go 3,000 miles, and they had no vision to go five. Somewhere along the way, they lost their vision. The vision that they had at one time to cross the, the ocean, come to America, in just a few years was lost completely. I, I see this because I go around and I speak at different churches, and I see this far too often where churches lose their vision and their passion. We, we get a group of people, we find fellowship, we find friendship, and we like it. We kind of like it the way it is. And then we lose the vision that once made us unique and made us grow to where we were. Um, Tonight, I would like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, if you will. God's Word has the answers to these things. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses uh, 6 through 15 is where we're going to be studying. Those of you that know the Old Testament might remember the story of Nehemiah. It was his job to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Actually, the building of this wall only took 52 days. But... Some 26 days into this thing, halfway through, the people started to get discouraged. And they started losing their vision. They started saying, I'm not sure this is really what you've called us to do, and this is what we should be doing. Just like many churches today lose their vision. I'm a part of a church, I'll talk to you about that in a second, who's over 100 years old. And uh, it's important for us to talk vision. And uh, I want to just look at this vision passage, if you will, beginning with verse 6 of uh, Nehemiah 4. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. 
But we prayed to our God, and because of him, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to build the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Now, what I want us to do here is I'd like to, to talk tonight about the seven C's of, of effective, sustained ministry. The first C, if you will, is celebrate where you are. I, I love what verse 6 says. It says, we built, so we built the wall. The, the whole wall was joined together to half its height so before the people had a mind to work. Celebrate. What God has been doing here at the rock, it's great stuff. Celebrate the salvation of people, the courage, the strength, and the, the, the family and the friendships that are being formed, the finances to keep the doors open. You have so much to be grateful for. Celebrate where God has taken you from as an individual, from sin, despair, spiritual bankruptcy, to where he has taken you. Celebrate what he's doing through himself, his people, his church, in your own personal life. Celebrate how God has matured you and used you in so many other people's lives, and you continue to reach out. I'm hearing wonderful accounts that this on Sunday morning doesn't hold all of you. Praise God for that problem. Psalm 119, verse 7 says, I shall give thanks to thee with uprightness of heart. Give thanks. Okay, God's been good to this church. Given you a great pastor, great leadership. Secondly, concede that your work is not done. The wall is halfway built. I don't know all the things that are happening here in your church, but over at Hessel Church, we have some walls that are halfway built. Certain ministries that are not as strong as they could be, and it's easy for some people to go shrug their shoulders and say, well, they're halfway built. They're not half bad. The work is not done. Where are the half-built walls here at the Rock? You don't have to say anything. Ross will tell me. Where's the half-built leadership walls? Some of you have begun to let God be, use you and grow you into the men and women that he wants you to be, but you're just kind of dragging your feet. The job's not done. No matter how old we are, you and I are not done here working for Jesus until glory. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you a little bit about Hustle Church. It's just, I know you'll be bored, but that's okay. Uh, Hessel's church started in 1909, and I'll go ahead and fire that next one off. And uh, they started in a little Sunday school, and uh, the, the teacher there said, hey, what are you guys doing for church on Sunday? And there, she it was actually a church, a uh, school, excuse me. And they said, well, the, the, there was a train station right there. It is. It doesn't, the train doesn't run on Sundays, and so there's no way for us to get into town where all the churches are. And so she says, we'll come back here, and we'll start teaching in Bible school, Bible classes and Sunday school. And, and there's the class, 1909. They kicked him out of the school because there was this thing called separation of church and state. And uh, so in 1940, somebody donated a piece of property, and this is our first building. It uh, looks, well, they didn't know how to build a church. They knew how to build a chicken coop. 
because it was made after the design of Chicken Coop. We had a bunch of chicken ranchers, and they did the best they could with what they had. And actually, the slides are going on, but don't worry about them. Um, it, it's kind of a cool story. Somebody donated their old chicken coop, and so these people went over and tore down the chicken coop. I have pictures of the women outside with their long dresses on, straightening the nails, and then building the first building. But the work's not done. The church continues to grow. And when we grow, the work's not done because more people need Jesus. And when they find Jesus, the work's not done, and you can fire that off again and let it run. It keeps growing, all because somebody had some faith initially. Now, obviously, Pastor Ross and his leadership team has had some, a lot of faith and a lot of vision to get this far. But along the way, you guys are a part of this thing. It's you. We're going to talk about this at the very end of this thing. What you can make, the difference you can make in a church. Um, the work is not done here at this church just because we got a really cool place and we got it packed out and then we need overflow. It's not done. I believe that the future of the rock is a whole lot better than the past. Amen? Yeah, I, I think, why not? Making it, leaving an indelible mark in this county? Oh, do we need that. The third C. Let's go ahead and, what's the next slide? Maybe I didn't go far enough. Let's, you can flash through that. Go to the next one. There we go. The best days of the rock are still ahead. Let's go to, uh, to the next one, which is comprehend that you have an enemy whose goal is to discourage and defeat. Now, it's very important. Here we have our uh, story in Isaiah, I mean, excuse me, Nehemiah that is, that is historical and true. Verse 8 says this. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem. What The project of rebuilding the wall and to cause a disturbance in it. Verse 11. Uh, and our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Nehemiah had this enemy had a strategy to discourage and defeat the nation of Israel, to threaten them, to intimidate them, to attack them. Their, their enemy's goal was this, to put a stop to the work. You and I have an enemy. You know his name. His name is Satan. And he will do everything in his power to stop the work that God wants you to be a part of and this church to have, be a part of in this Santa Rosa community to reach further and further. And so he comes, and he's going to do everything he possibly can to get dissension to take place, because that's what happens in churches. Division, I'm not getting my way thing, to intimidate, to say, oh, you know what, we've grown enough, we've had enough change, we've gone far enough, we don't need to go any further. Yeah, maybe this whole Christianity thing is just really not all it's cracked up to be. And if he can get our church and its leadership to have no vision for the loss of our community, we stop working. Fourth C, to capitalize on God's strategy for victory. Look down at verse 9. Here, here, here's the strategy. It's God's strategy. But we prayed to our God. You want a strategy for being an effective tool in the hands of God? Pray. Pray. 
Maybe work less and pray more. But pray. It's okay, we're good. God wants to use this place and us, you as an individual, in an eternal way, and he wants to do it right now. The first strategy is prayer. Let's go ahead and click on that. If you haven't picked up, there we go. And the second strategy that is God's strategy is to have a godly plan. They implemented a godly plan. Verse 13 says this. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bow. Nehemiah implemented a strategy. I love the fact that your pastors and leadership team decided to get away this week. I know it's an inconvenience. You had to put up with a bozo like me here tonight. But I'm going to tell you this. They need to listen to God so that they can implement a godly strategy. And that this time away is well spent. And I, I honor them for seeing the need for it and, and taking it and, and going. Um, fifth C is be conscious of friends who may hinder you from your God-given assignment. Verse 10 says this. These are friends. This was from within. These were Jewish people, incidentally, who start threatening the, the work that was going to be done. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Hey, they're not going to make it. They're running out of steam. The rock's not going to make it. Oh, it's going to surge up for a little bit, and then it's going to disappear. Yet there was much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Verse 12, and it came about when the Jews, these were the believers, who lived near them, came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Look, the enemy's going to attack. I've been in ministry long enough to know this, that there will be Christians who will try to discourage you. Don't let them. Don't let them discourage you from accomplishing what God has for you. My dad used to say, Rich, attempt something so big that unless God's in it, it's doomed to fail. Do, do, do go after something big. You're always going to have your doubters. At the end of 2007, I found in our church, we were getting to a place where we were losing our vision for the lost. End of 2006. And 2007 was about ready to begin, and I went to our people, and I said, I've read some statistics that are really amazing to me. The statistic is this. That if you have a church plant, in the first three years of a church plant, very cool, you will see 10 people per 100 come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You'll have a 10% increase if you're in, your, in a church plant, zero to three years. If you are three to 10 years, it drops, and you, per 100 people who come, you'll have five people who come to know Christ, so 5% increase. And Lord forbid, if your church lives more than 10 years, you'll only have one person per 100 who will receive Christ. You've got 100 people, you'll find one person finding Jesus. 200 people, two. I read that statistic, and i got to tell you, I became angry. I thought, this is ridiculous. 
churches that are around, well, you guys are up to eight years, ten years, that we, we're starting to get our, our bearings. We're starting to get our balance, our maturity. This is the time, our, our ministries, our children's ministries and our youth ministries, this is the time that we should be expanding faster. Why are we shrinking back? Vision. I went to our church and I said, I want to challenge us. We had about 700 people in the church in, at that time. I said, I want to challenge us. If a church plant can get 10 people per 100, I want to challenge us to get 11. And so I'm, I'm going to challenge us for 77 people to come Christ in this upcoming year. Everybody go, oh, that's, that's good for you, Rich. And uh, no, no, they were with me. And I, I said, let me show you how we're going to do this. And so... I, right here, I, I had a vase, and it was empty, and I said, on Sunday mornings, when somebody finds the Lord during the week, we're going to put a, a rose into this vase. It's just going to be a single rose, and, uh, or however many people. If there's three people, we'll put three roses, and everybody will know that somebody, three people got saved or one person got saved. And after that one week, we're going to take those out, and we're going to put them in a big vase back here. And we're going to let them collect back there so we can just make this beautiful bouquet throughout the year. And so we start challenging our people and start saying, listen, most people are not finding Jesus in church services. They're going to find him over the hood of a car. They're going to find him in, as you go visit somebody in the rest home, in your neighborhood. And you know what? We don't even care if they ever come to this church. We just want them to know Jesus. And, and some incredible things started happening. People started catching this vision. The end of 19, excuse me, 2007, 213 people had found Jesus. And so we're like, this is cool. And people are getting excited. I, one of my favorite stories is this guy, and we, we went out and we started chronicling this, and we would sh- go into people's homes and we would sh- shoot videos, and they would tell us the story. And I remember this one guy, and he's totally construction worker, kind of rough and tumble and just kind of a you know, rough guy. And he's telling about how he's cleaning his guns. And God starts to work in his heart about witnessing to his neighbor, Harold, who had cancer, 80-year-old man. He says, I tried to clean my guns, and I couldn't. So finally, I put my guns away, and I have this little track I carry around, and I got it out, and I said, okay. I went over and talked to Harold. And Harold says, uh, at the end of reading through this track, Harold says, I want that relationship with God. How do I get it? Now this guy's like, oh, he flips over. And, oh, they're good. There's a prayer. Just say this. <laughs> say this. And Harold in his 80s says the prayer. Oh, man, it's the greatest day. And so here's this man in his home. He's telling the story. And so he says, you know that? So I came back home. I started cleaning my guns again, thinking it was kind of a cool thing. And I start thinking... I didn't even tell Mildred, his wife. He says, I kept trying to clean my guns. And God's like, no, you got to go back. And so I put my guns back in the gun rack, and I went back over, and Mildred was there. And Mildred had been going to a church that did not preach the gospel. And he says, Mildred, I just want you to know what Harold just did. And uh, Mildred at the end says, I want that too. I've, I've never trusted Jesus. And she too accepted Jesus. This man's sitting in his house in this chair. And 
he says, and all because I quit cleaning my guns and just listened to Christ to go over. The video went down. It was a Sunday morning, and I walked out, and I said, 30 minutes ago, Harold went home to be with Jesus. Our work's not done. And it's not Pastor Ross's job to do it. It's all of our jobs. 2007, 213 people found the Lord. In 2008, 275. In 2009, 328 people. Last year, 275. And I don't know where we are because the vase is just bursting out there. And it doesn't matter if they come to our church or not. These are in after-school programs. These are taking place in rest homes. These are taking place at camps as our kids are sharing Jesus. I have stories of two twin boys who went out on the front curb, sat down and shared with their, their buddy, 10 years old, shared with their buddy who was also 10, and he found the Lord because it's, our work's not done. Don't buy into the, your friends who are going to say, you know, that's kind of over the top, witnessing all the time and sharing Jesus with everybody. Isn't that just kind of fanatical? Number six, cling to the Lord and his promises. Verse 14 says, When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. And he, I, he says, and Nehemiah says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Can you say that with me? Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. That's the truth. That's his promise. He has made a promise to us that he is great and awesome. He is great and awesome. He tells, tells us in his word, when before he leaves, Jesus leaves the earth, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And he says, and I'm with you always. The people who attend the rock have the promise of God that says, I'm going to be with you if you're going to put your guns away and go share with your neighbor. You're not doing it by yourself. That classmate of yours, that in-law, that, those in-laws, the, the parents, your, your brothers, your sisters, people around us, you can trust God. The seventh C is simply this. Consider what is at stake. Verse 14. When I saw their fear, I rose and I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and Fight for yourselves, for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then they all returned to the wall, each one to his work. What is at stake is your brothers and your sisters, your, your moms and your dads and this community. It is time for the believers in this county to take seriously the words of Jesus. And it's not a big program. That, all these people finding Jesus, we, we're doing, we do stuff. On, on Friday, we try to be as creative as possible. On Saturday and Sunday night, we, this coming week, we will pack our place out doing this country night. It is pretty phenomenal. Amazing music. It's hysterically funny. There's gags and things. Are, people are laughing. It's a hysteric. We'll probably have, I don't know, somewhere, I don't know, a thousand people there over the weekend. But here's the deal. We're sharing the gospel. That's why we do stuff like that. But the biggest response are not the programs. 
The biggest response are people like you and me just being bold. If you love them, you will do it. You'll set other things aside. And if you love people like God loves people, you'll do it. In 1997, we began to gain permission to build a new worship center. It would hold over 600 people, and we began to go to the county to get permission. Um, Everything was working well. We shared it with our neighbors. Everything was well until we showed up for the county meeting, and we had 100 angry neighbors at us. And um, they were loud, and they were angry. They were accusatory that we were going to ruin this little hamlet called Hessel. I found out in short time that the, the catalyst was a lady by the name of Louisa Maud Turner. You can go ahead and click. And uh, she was living up the neighborhood. And she was a piece of work. That's all I'm going to tell you. She got all the neighbors up in arms against us. She wrote me nasty, awful letters in which she used words that I thought only sailors knew how to use. (laughs) She called me names. You're ruining our life. I got to tell you, after being attacked by this woman, I wasn't feeling the love. (laughs) But remember what's at stake. I used to get in my car and I'd drive up to this house. And uh, I would visit her after every letter and I would try to calm her down and I would try to say, Lou, found out her name was Lou. People called her that. I called her other things, but we will not go into that. (laughs) And I'd calm her down a little bit and I'd leave and she was always stirring things up. People up here are telling me you're pumping your septic into the creek. I said, Lou, if we did that, they'd close us down in a heartbeat. We're not doing that. That's what they're telling me. One day she comes down and she is so mad. You need to tell your people that your church just slow down. They came out of the parking lot and they almost hit me. And if they hit me and kill me, you're in trouble. And I said, Lou, I don't want you to get hurt, and I don't want you to get hit. I will tell our people to slow down. Didn't tell her that it was my wife. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. This woman was my number one thorn in the flesh. She was my number one nemesis. She was my number one pain in the gluteus maximus. She came down one time, and you couldn't stop her. She was a force of nature. She would force her way into my office. It would be closed. I have a little thing, you know, in conference. Didn't matter. Threw it open, and she would come in. There's trash out in the street. Somebody needs to pick that up. And I said, you're right, Lou. We'll pick it up. We will do that. And she came down, and she's yelling at me. And no matter what I did, I could not, I could not please this woman. Everything I did 
was wrong. And I get in my car and I drive up there and I say, God, I don't even like this woman. And you are asking me to love her? So I'm talking to another neighbor who lived just adjacent to her, and we're trying to work with our neighbors because everything's going crazy. We're in the papers and how awful people we are. And so she, I, I said to one of the neighbors one time, and they go, oh, Lou says. And I go, you know what? I kind of like Lou. And by this time, I think, you know. And she goes, you like Lou? And, and I said, yeah. She's kind of feisty. I mean, she's as old as dirt, but, you know, she's feisty. You know, I... I, I kind of like her. Two days later, I get a letter in the mail. How dare you call me fusty? Fusty. I called her feisty. I, I don't even know the word fusty. I grab my dictionary, and I turn it through, and it says, old-fashioned and smelling of mold. Oh, man. So I go up there, and I am like... This is not happening to me. This is not good. And I'm saying, you know, Lou, I'm sorry. That's not the word. Are you? That's what they told me. You need to think about what word you use before you say them. And so she, I was like, oh, okay. So calm her down a little bit. She's coming in my office, you know, and she's bamming. You got to know, this woman smokes like there's no tomorrow. She is non-smoke, I mean, she does not, I've never seen her smoke, but if I'm from here to the door, I know she smokes, okay? I'm, I'm telling you, everybody around her, now, I'm, I'm going to confess this, I know that, you know, people who smoke, they, it's an addiction, it's tough to beat, and I don't belittle that at all, but I have a physiological gag re- reflex when I smell that heavy smell, it's just me, I, I try to, you know, go along with it, but it's not an easy thing. And so she would come in, and she'd get close to me, and I'd go, ha, ha, you know. <laughs> and so one day she's mad at something, and she barges into my office, and I go, hi, Louis, good to see you, you know. And she says, she starts yelling at something. I calm her down, and I said, so what are you doing? She says, nothing. I said, come on, I got something for you. So I walk across the room, and our ladies are taking care of some bulletins or some paperwork in the office. And I said, hey, you guys need some help? Here's Lou. She's going to, you know, uh, she's going to help you. And so, okay, she sits down, and she's stuffing bulletins, and she's doing this stuff like this. My secretary nearly went on strike after this. I mean, they were so, what are you doing? I, I went by afterwards. They had cans of Lysol out, and they're spraying the room, and they're trying to get rid of the smell. I don't know, it was a week later, and she comes in again, and I go, <laughs> okay. And she barges into my office again, and somebody else did something wrong, and I, and I we're not, you know, okay, Lou, you know, and I said, hey, listen, Lou, what are you doing? She says, nothing. I said, you want to go to lunch? She says, you want to go to lunch with me? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take you down and get a hamburger. You want to get one burger? She says, yeah, I do. So I go out and get in my car. I said, okay. So I get out and go out and get in the car and put my window down so I can breathe. I mean, I am like. <sighs> yeah, it was kind of like that, too. That was good. It was better than what was coming this way, I'm telling you. And I start to learn about Lou's life. Well, you can go ahead and click. I learned how she grew up in England. 
And uh, she used to, uh, was there when the Blitzkrieg came and Hitler was bombing like crazy and how she had nine siblings and some of them went off to war and were never heard from again and how she would sit in the backyard in a dugout bunker with a piece of plywood over the top of it and sit there all day long while bombs were falling in, in London. She had showed me some scars, shrapnel. She, she told me how when the war was over, she wanted to come get out of there as fast as she could. And she came to America, and we go ahead and click, and she met a, came in through, uh, through uh, Ellis, uh, Ellis Island and uh, the Empire and the Statue of Liberty, thank you. Met a fellow by the name of John Turner, and the two of them were married. They had a long courtship of three weeks. <laughs> and how she loved him. She wanted to have children, wanted to adopt, and she actually adopted a little baby boy, and after nine months, his birth mother wanted him back, and it tore her heart out. And how her and John were married just under 50 years, and he, because of health issues, started getting weaker and weaker. He lost his leg. She was carrying him in and out of the bathtub, carrying him and how he had just died. And when she went to place him at his place of rest, she was all alone. There was no pastor, there was no friends, and she was all by herself. And I start thinking, man, have I been reading this lady wrong? This is a wounded woman. I started being concerned for her spiritual well-being, and I started sharing Christ with her. She says, I, I think I remember my aunts. I had two aunts who were in the Salvation Army when we were back in London, and I, I think they shared with me this thing, but it's done nothing with it. Trusted Christ. She was saved. My privilege to lead her through that. And uh, she started, she came and I said, Lou, you need to start coming to church, not going to church. I said, you need to go to church. She goes, I don't even know where to, go, where to sit. I said, we don't have reserved seating here. You can sit anywhere you want. She goes, well, I don't know where to sit. I said, well, come sit by me. And so she'd come sit by me and I'd be breathing out of my side of my mouth again because this woman's over here and we'd be singing and and she sat by me every Sunday. People who started coming to the church thought she was my mom. And she dropped by the church all the time. And my wife and I started opening up our lives to her a little bit. And we said, hey, we want, we want to include you in things. I said, was, you ever been to the fair, Lou? Yeah. Oh, you got to tell, I got to tell you this. This lady went from where she went five miles, one direction. That was the only, that was, when I, one time I, she had to visit a friend over at Kaiser, and we were coming over Highway 12 on the 101, and she went, oh, when did they put this in? <laughs> I said about 64, I think, and then she, 
I've never seen this. And she'd been living there in 40 years, only five miles. So I said, you ever go to the fair? Yep. I said, when was the last time you went to the fair? 50 years ago. I said, okay, let's go to the fair. Come up with the fair. You can go ahead and click there. And, um, and uh, let's see if you got that. You got to go backwards. Oh, he's Johnny on the spot. Okay, it's okay. You were late. Um, anyway, there is. I, so we went up. I go, we were there, and I said, hey, Lou. And she's looking at this Ferris wheel type thing. And I said, hey, you want to go up? She goes, yeah. And I said, okay. So I went over and bought some tickets, and my daughter, who's in the front, was, who's now in college, so it shows you a few years back. I said, yeah, let's go on up there. So we went up there. Now, i got to tell you, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm a Christian and all, okay? Let me just say that. But I'm thinking, I've got a 77-year-old lady up here. She has a heart attack. Am I going to give her mouth-to-mouth? Okay, I'm thinking these thoughts. I'm not saying those are good thoughts, but I am thinking those thoughts, okay? I'm not even proud of them, okay? But beyond that, we, uh, you can go ahead and click that. We, I mean, we had her over to our house for um, dinner and birthdays and Easter and Thanksgiving. And this woman became a part of our family. Uh, she, every time I had to do a funeral, she would just ride in the car because she lived next to the church. Hey, got a funeral? I'll go over there. And she'd sit in the car while I did the funeral. She'd come out and... We, we bought her a Bible. My wife and I bought her a Bible, and she began, she had no television, didn't want a television. She just would read her Bible. Hours and hours and write notes, and she would bring them down to me, and she'd go, Rich, what do you think? And I'm going to tell you something. It was like a theologian wrote them. Amazing. All of a sudden, she becomes, you can go ahead and click this one. I'll see what we got. Kind of drop by the church all the time. What's our next one? I mean, oh, she her house was falling down. We got some people from our Sunday school class. We went up there because, you know what, people matter. And we started doing work on her porch. And her, I mean, windows were actually falling out of this little house that was probably, I don't know, 500 square feet. She got very excited about our building project that she opposed. Remember that one? I have a picture, I don't have it here, of her actually pushing up the first wall. She's part of it, pushing, pushing it up. Um. And, and she began to, to just live down at the church. You go ahead and yeah, click. I, you know, it's just like she would show up and just take over. And uh, she would just, you know, it was like she, she used to just be like, we, everybody called her, you know, Mama Lou, Grandma Lou, and she took over. My nieces and nephews always refer to her as Uncle Rich's girlfriend. But it really wasn't that at all. She would come into the church and she'd go, where's my boy? And she adopted me. And she, uh, she used to go, you know, it was so cool. She goes, you know that boy I lost, he was born in March, the same month you were born, Rich. It's just two years, you're two years younger than he was, and it's like God gave you, uh, him back to me through you. And it's so cool. You're, and she would call her, where's my boy? I want to see my boy. And she says, it's so great. I, I have a son, and I don't have any stretch marks. And I said, you got enough wrinkles, don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> she comes into my office and she says, one day, I mean, I'm meeting with somebody. She comes in, hey, sign this. And I said, sign. And my, the secretaries are trying to keep this woman out. They cannot. And I said, don't even try. You'll hurt yourself. And uh, just let her come and we'll, we'll deal with it. And so she comes in, just sign this. And I said, sign what? She said, just sign this. And I go, oh, Lou, I don't even know what I'm signing. I look down. And she's putting me on her bank card. And I said, um, what's this about? Well, anything happens to me, somebody's got to take care of my responsibilities. Might as well be you. 
I said, thanks for the vote of confidence. Uh, I said, Lou, I'll do anything I can for you. Tell me what you, I, I don't know what your needs are, what your finances are. Will you, she, she goes, can you come up to the house tonight? I said, yeah, after work, I'll come on up. By this time, I walk into her house that was just like a smokestack, and I got to tell you, the gag reflex was gone. Love does that. I said, Lou, tell me, well, how much are you making a month? $388. How are you doing with that? Doing great, saving money. <laughs> House is paid for. I don't eat much. I don't need much. I don't have television. I don't have anything. It's just real simple. So I said, uh, okay, what are your bills? Shows me what they are. She says, Rich, I've been thinking. When I die, I want the church to get my house. I said, do you have a, a will? She says, no. I said, okay, well, we, we'll help you set up one. He goes, I don't want to wait till I die. I want to do it now. I want to give the church my house now. Uh, give, yeah, yeah my, that's, that's what I meant. Yeah, and so I said, um, Okay, well, you can do that, but why? She says, you know, there's a bunch of crazy people who turned me against the church years a while back, and they'll think that you twisted my arm and made me do this at the end of my life, and I don't want them to think that. I want it all done now. I said, okay. You'll own 51%. The church will hold the 49, and it's pretty easy to do. So I, I gave her a church, a, a job at the church so she could make a little extra money. She was too proud. She would have never taken it. It was a little job, jobs that volunteers would have done, but she went around sharpening pencils, making sure in the in our seats, everything had things in place, and, and um, we hired her. There's one of our secretaries, and she'd tell people what to do. I want you to know that. She was on staff now, and she had no problem telling other people what to do. I got this picture of her because she says, you know what I do when I'm putting these pencils down and I'm fixing the little envelopes and doing stuff? I'm praying for who's going to sit here on Sunday. I figure they need the prayer. Her car broke, broke down. She called me. I kept trying to fix it. One time she calls me. I said, she says, my car's broken down. I said, where, is, where are you, Lou? Well, she says, you know that intersection in the middle of Sebastopol? I said, yeah. She says, I'm right in the middle of it. <laughs> I said, Lou, you got to get somebody pushed you out. That's kind of important. I'll be right there. My wife, Lori, and I bought her a car. So they, she had a, could have something that was more reliable. Seven years ago, she started coughing. Well, she'd been coughing probably eight, longer than that, but probably for about a year she coughed. And I said, Lou, you got to go to the doctor. I said, when was the last time you went to the doctor? She said, 50 years ago. <laughs> kind of like the fair, huh? And uh, I, uh, see, I tried to get her to go. She wouldn't go. One afternoon, she calls me. I was driving my car, and I said, yeah, Lou. She says, uh, Rich, come quick. Take me to the hospital. And I knew she was sick. So I took her to the emergency room. She had no doctor. And the doc took some x-rays, and he came back, and he says, you know, we're going to take another look. We're going to take another x-ray. And so he, they willed her off. And I went back where the doctor is, and I said, yeah, I know, I know she has lung cancer. He says, Rich, it's bad. One whole lung is shit gone. The other one's about ready to go. So after the x-ray, he told her, you have cancer. 
So I took her on the way home. We stopped by for dinner, and I said, um, what are you thinking? I'm ready to go home. I mean, I'm ready to go home to be with the Lord. I'm good. Rich, I have one favor. Will you let me die in my house? I don't want to be in a doctor in a hospital. So my wife and I put together a little care team, and we had assignments, and we all had stuff to do. And very quickly, within uh, from that time of diagnosis, within a week and a half, she died. But before she died, she said to me, "You know, there's one thing I have asked God to let me do before I die." And I said, "What's that, Lou?" I hope he'll let me show you how much you mean to me. And I said, Lou, I know. It was seven years from the time I met her to the time we stood at her graveside. It was seven years from where she stood at the graveside for her husband and where we stood at the graveside, that same graveside for her. Seven years before this woman stood there all alone an angry, bitter woman. Seven years later, not only had her life been transformed, but my life had been transformed. 35 people stood there at the graveside. We went back to the church. We had a memorial service, and over 100 people showed up for this little old lady who had no friends. Remember what's at stake. We are to communicate the love of God in a tangible way. They will know we are Christians by our love. Not how smart we are. By our love. You can go ahead and click. One of my favorite pictures is that. I just want to encourage you. Love people. Share Christ's love with people. Sail the seven seas of effective church ministry. We need you. The Lord needs you. Not just Pastor Ross needs you. Can you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you ask us to take this love and turn it around and share it with others. Thank you, Lord, that you give us a love, can give us a love for others that we do not naturally have in and of ourselves. Lord, I thank you for Lou Turner and how she changed my life. And I thank you for the privilege of being a part of that. Lord, I, I wonder how many other Lou Turners we know here, people who drive us a little crazy. People who make us scratch our heads. People that we just want to stay away from. Lord God, I want to pray that you would burn in our hearts to represent you well in this world. Because what's at stake is eternity. Again, thank you that Pastor Ross and the team are able to be away. Pray you bless them and just give them refreshment as they come back here to lead this great, wonderful body of believers. In Jesus' name, amen.